0: You know, there are a lot of things that will go through our hands during the course of this coming year, but only uh, what we place in God's hands will ultimately matter. So I hope that you've come today to this service with a sense of prayer and excitement and humility before God as we give ourselves to the Lord. So let's bow together in a moment of prayer. Creator God, you whispered the world into being and you made us from the dust of the earth. You inspired writers and poets to record the beauty of nature. You've spoken of your glory through your servants in Scripture. We simply today marvel at the world that you've given us to manage, and it is you that we worship and we serve. So move in our hearts today, move in our spirits, and remind us again of your generosity and your goodness to us and our responsibility to be generous in return. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't it great to be part of a congregation where God continues to change lives? Amen. Just what a wonderful day this this is. And uh, if you want to know, you know, how is my giving to this congregation making a difference? It is making a difference every single day. And uh, we may not see that week in and week out, but uh, just to see all the kids that came in here from our 11 o'clock Sunday school, to, to, because they don't often get to see baptisms happening. So one of the things that we would like to do from time to time is bring them in, help them to see that too because that's part of the change that God works in us and the, the movement of God's spirit to bring us closer to him to allow us to uh, share in that, the important sacrament of baptism. Well, I was um, uh, the last part of this week. I was up at a church in Everett, Michigan. How many know where Everett, Michigan is? Some, okay, good. It's, it's along US 10 between uh, Clare and Ludington or Reed City. And it's the United Methodist Church. And we were sharing um, a, a consultation there for the last three days. And uh, one of the persons on our team was a layperson from the Indian River. United Methodist Church, uh, just shy of the bridge, way up north, and when I walked through the door, he said, first thing he said to me was, Why, well, here you've really been giving it to your congregation about giving the last few weeks. <laughs> so, you see, Redeemer's influence has spread far and wide across the state. I said, well, that's not exactly true, um, but we do teach on it. Well, the truth be told, uh, there are many people who come to church who would be happy if we avoided the whole subject of finances and giving. And over the years, um, I've been convinced that some of the folks in local churches where I've served would rather have had elective surgery or a root canal or something rather than come on the Sunday when we talk about stewardship and the giving of our lives uh, to God. You know, but it's really hard to avoid talking about finances, even in the life of the church. Uh, We spend most of our life trying to make money and trying to spend money. Uh, So it's not surprising that the Bible is filled with stories about money, how to make it, how to spend it, how to save it, and how to give it away. In fact, in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one verse out of every six has to do with money in one way or another. And uh, 16 of the 38 parables, the stories that Jesus told, uh, money's involved in those stories. And what that means is you can't read the Bible very much without realizing that what we do with our money is very important to God. Uh, The way we use the money that God gives us is really the acid test of our spirituality. We can say many things, but the way we spend our money tells the truth about our heart. And so this is the final and third and final message in this series called Where's Your Heart? Last week we started looking at the words of the Apostle Paul that he wrote to the church at Corinth. Um, Before though we return to 2 Corinthians in chapter 9, I want to just say a word about tithing because we've been talking about this word Uh, over the last couple of weeks, and sometimes I think there are folks who might not exactly understand what we mean by that. So the word tithe comes from the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word that literally means one-tenth, and when we tithe, we're giving 10% of our income, for instance, to tithe uh, on $1,000 would mean we give $100. To tithe on $537, we give $53.70. You get the idea. But a tithe is 10% of, of what we make. If we read the Bible, we would soon discover that tithing was a, something that began in the Old Testament times as a way for the people of Israel to support the, the temple and the nation and the, uh, the Levites who served as priests, and when we come to the New Testament, we discover that there is no verse. There is not one single verse in the New Testament that says to Christians, you must tithe. But there's also not one verse that says, um, you are forbidden. Or, or, uh, you know, so it's neither required or forbidden. It appears that in New Testament times, uh, the early believers still practiced tithing because it uh, but but even went beyond that because the tithe was now the bake basis of what they would give, and then they gave offerings over and above that. Why, does, why do churches continue to use the concept of tithing? Well, it makes sense as a helpful way to gauge our giving. Let me give you a personal suggestion. To those of you who may struggle in this area, it's possible that you're new to the faith, or you haven't been brought up with uh, the example of tithing, as some of us were, or maybe uh, you're just so overcommitted financially that giving 10% isn't feasible for you right now. Our our encouragement for you is, why not set a goal of moving toward the tithe? You know, if you only really look at your income now, and you're giving 1% or 2% how about uh, asking God to help you move toward that one more percent the next month or the next year until you reach the 10%. If you haven't started, I encourage you to do that. Maybe try tithing a paycheck, tithing for one month, tithing for three months. Give it a start as a statement of your faith that God can do what God has promised to do, and that is that he will meet all of your needs. God never said, I'll, I'll take care of all of your wants and your needs. God said, I'll provide all that you need. And it will be an encouragement to you, and I encourage you to do that because it sets an example for your children, for your grandchildren. It's a spiritual discipline uh, that we sort of balk at, at uh, engaging in, but it is doable. I want to just give you a a personal word. uh, Jan and I learned to tithe as kids. Our parents taught us to put God first in our life. We have built our marriage and our family on that same value. And this summer we'll be married 40 years. Sometimes tithing our income has not been easy. Sometimes we have given uh, more than our tithe. We've also put three kids through college. We've helped us several other families uh, with their financial needs. We know that what it's like to make minimum salary. We know what it's like to need car repairs, do all the same, uh, same things that you have to do. But our resolve to put God first in our life has never changed. And we can assure you of this, we have never run out of money. Sometimes we've been close, sometimes we've been right on the edge, sometimes, but we have never missed paying a bill or being able to feed our family. Through the tight seminary years, through the move to Michigan, the birth of three children, buying a home for the first time, being a couple years without a job, through it all we've never regretted tithing and putting God first. Not a single moment. God has always taken care of us when we've honored him. So I commend tithing to you as a useful and helpful guideline uh, for your giving. But with that, I want us to look again at uh, just a, a quick look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 this morning, beginning with verse 12. And the Apostle Paul here mentions f- uh, four great results of generous giving. And the first one is this. Generous giving supplies the needs of the saints. Verse 12 says, So two th- good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Your giving, Paul says, is fully supplying the needs of the saints. That, that makes sense. When we give, we're helping other people out. Paul says that what happens when we give to meet the needs of the church and the people around us is something very sacred. It's a ministry. When we give to help other people, we please God just as much as the person who's standing uh, to preach or the leaders uh, who uh, who are leading or the singers who sing or the teachers who teach. Giving is a ministry in which all of us can share, and that's reason enough to give. Most of us have a a bit of a built-in selfishness in us, don't we? It's part of our basic nature. In a day of high prices and unemployment and a lot of uncertainty, it's easy to focus all of our energy on building up our net worth and forgetting about other people. But when we give money to a worthy cause, when we cook a meal for a family, when we give a bag of groceries, when we slip, you know, anonymously slip a $20 bill in an envelope and mail it. When we do those kinds of things, we move to meet the real needs of the people around us and we're doing exactly what God expects us to do. We're supplying the needs of the saints. Secondly, Paul says giving, generous giving causes a great outpouring of praise to God. Look at verse 13. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Let me tell you the story about one couple uh, who were faithful in their church who ran headlong into some really, really bad times. They started to experience not not just a few, but a whole string of setbacks. Unemployment, sickness, losing their home, Uh, family problems of every description. At one point, the wife became pregnant and was expecting twins, and late in the pregnancy, complications developed, and one of the babies died before delivery. And about that time, the husband got sick. He couldn't work, and literally the roof caved in on this family. And the church rallied to their cause, raised money on their behalf. They bought groceries, prepared meals, paid the rent, Church members began to take care of the children and do chores around the house until this family could get back on their feet. Sometime later, after the crisis had passed, the wife sent the church a note that read something like this. She said, I thank God for all that you've done. God used you to help us when we really needed help. I'm so glad to be part of a church that cares. That note illustrates exactly what St. Paul was saying in 2 Corinthians, Chapter nine: give, Our giving not only meets physical needs, but the goal is that it also creates a great chorus of thanksgiving to rise up before God, and hopefully others will know that we do it in the name of Christ and the one who went about doing good, and they will glorify God, who makes the giving possible. Now the third point that Paul makes is generous giving proves our obedience to the gospel. Verse 13. Paul says, for your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Now maybe you've seen the bumper sticker that says, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I like that. It's kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? What evidence would would you bring from your life that would prove that you are a Christ follower? Well, you know, one of the the major pieces is our bank account. That's exhibit A. If you look at your checkbook, if you look at your bank statement, you'll discover something profound about about your faith or your lack of it. Paul told the Corinthians that their giving would prove the reality of their faith in God. Suppose you go home today and you sit down and, and look at the record of your expenditures over the last year or two. I encourage you to do that. What is the story that is told in that list about your commitment to faith? I know that I'm making a lot of you a little uncomfortable this morning because some people just don't like to hear us talk about uh, candidly or directly about giving. After after all, we say there's there's more to being a Christian than giving money or food or clothes, and that's all true. And some have more to give, and some have uh, almost nothing to give. That's true again. And we argue that giving is a private matter between us and God, and that is true, sort of. But all these points, as good as they are, cannot evade this message by the Apostle Paul, who said, our giving either proves or disproves the genuineness of our faith commitment. Why, because giving is at the very heart of our faith. A stingy Christian, is a contradiction in terms. Whatever we have of any value has been given to us by God. And, and, and he gave it to us so that we could share it with other people. And the Christian who hoards financially is surely the world's biggest fool. Now in your worship folder today is an insert and you probably already have looked at it, but it looks like this. And it just talks about our congregation's giving pattern uh, in 2014. I just wanna highlight that very quickly and note that kinda of drew a line right across um, after the first three steps. This is called a step chart, and it shows uh, where you can find your own uh, place in the congregation in terms of what you have been uh, giving over the years, and it starts with zero and goes up to $300 a week. But you'll notice that from about $20 a week on up, is about 230 uh, families or individuals in the life of our congregation. And from $20 a week down to zero, uh, about 233. Recently, uh, our finance team sat down with a stewardship consultant out of Dallas, one of the major companies in the United States who do this for a living, and we said, um, how do we motivate uh, maybe that group, it's 51 on the zero scale. Now, these are not um, families that are uh, disattached to Redeemer, these, the, the numbers here all reflect families who worship here on a regular basis, who consider this their church home. But at the very first step on that scale is uh, zero, no recordable giving for the entire year. And there's 51 families, and then $1 to $10 a week 117 you can see on the scale. But this is a somewhat typical pattern, which I think is sad, all across United States. That about 50% of any congregation is the fo- are the folks who support almost the entire ministry of, of a church. And that's a kind of a universal uh, statistic all across uh, America. Um, okay. I'll go back to St. Paul, because I'm on safer ground talking about St. Paul than I am about this. Um, so I want you to look at verse 14 uh, in, in chapter 9, and that is the fourth point that Paul makes, and he says that generous giving gains prayer partners. Um, many of us would not have thought about this particular result, but Paul says it very clearly. He says, and they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace of God that God has given to you. Thank God for this gift to wonderful for words. Now I want you to notice the phrase, they will pray for you. When the Corinthians gave money to help the poor saints in Jerusalem, a spiritual bond formed. And the, it was a bond of compassion, a bond of gratitude, that was forged through sacrificial giving linking the wealthy Christians in Greece with the poorest Christians in Judea. And Paul says that the saints in Jerusalem put the Corinthians on their prayer list. Why? Because they were so grateful Uh, that their needs had been met. And that gives uh, us the final impetus toward generosity, and that is give to the needy who knows some, granted, will never acknowledge uh, what you do for them. Some will think that they're entitled to it, but there will be others who will appreciate you and may even want to meet you or pray for you because of the love that has motivated the gift. And that's what Paul means when he refers to the overflowing grace God has given to you. When the marvelous grace of God works in our life, prompting us to give to others, the people on the receiving end often sense the love that's behind the gift. See, all these blessings of God flow to the Christ follower who decides to become a regular and generous giver. Here are my two questions to ask by way of application today. Is my giving regular or is it haphazard? Is my giving generous or am I stingy? Does generosity really work? Well, I want to close this message today uh, by giving you some testimonies from real live people right here in our own congregation. You remember two weeks ago, if you were here, I asked you to send me an email with a story about your giving, if you had a story you would like to share of how giving generously has impacted your life and out of you know, the thousands of people that call Redeemer Church their home, I got three responses. <laughs> I'm not sure what that says, but I'm grateful for the three responses. I might not have had time to read ten or a thousand today, but three, resp- three of you responded, and, and, and though quite different in many ways, each one clearly affirms that when God's truth regarding giving, giving is taken seriously, uh, a lot of blessings begin to overflow in our life. And let me share these stories with you. The first one, testimony number one. Because of my job, I am very comfortable talking to people about money. I have been doing this job for over 15 years and have assisted countless people with setting up and implementing their personal financial plans. We talk about how much of their money they need to save for retirement, for their kids' college funds, for how much they could potentially spend in retirement. But in the last few years, what has changed my outlook on giving to the church was the concept that it's not our money. It's God's money and he's letting us use it. When, we have, when you have a job like mine, which is 100% commission sales, the excuses to not give are always there. You never know what the market's going to be doing. 2008 was a rough year in our business. That said, it was around that time that my wife and I bought into the concept of giving more. For years, I have talked to clients about adding to their 401k automatically so they don't see the funds in their bank account to prioritize saving for themselves first. Personally, we varied that concept a bit and decided that regardless of what happens in our lives, the very first line item that comes out of our monthly paycheck is the money that goes to the church and charitable causes. And all I can say is that once we start doing this, the financial blessings for our family have grown significantly. There were times I wanted to fudge it a little and give a little less but we never did, and the blessings continue to grow. I may be comfortable talking to people about money, but one of the things I am not super comfortable with is talking to people about God. I'm getting better, but it's certainly not a strength of mine. That said, I know that there are people in the church who are good at talking to others about God, and by supporting Redeemer, I am providing a platform for those who do that work that they're good at doing. Maybe this is backwards thinking, but I feel like By giving to the church financially, I am bringing others to the church in a roundabout way. Here's testimony number two. This comes from a a very uh, young uh, couple in our church. I started getting an allowance at the age of six. My parents thought it was a good age to start teaching me the value of money and how to use it. I earned $6 every two weeks. My parents bought a plastic money bank for my brother and me. The bank had three different sections. One said bank, one said store, the other one said church. My parents told us that we were to put the first 10% of our allowance into the church, the second 10% into bank, and the rest would go into the store, which we could spend as we chose. We could only open our bank twice a year, once at Christmas and once on our respective birthdays. So when I received my allowance, 60 cents went to the church, 60 cents went to the bank. As I grew older, my allowance grew bigger each year, but I still gave 10% to church, followed by 10% to savings. It came so naturally to me, and I never thought about how much more money I would have if I kept it for myself. My parents were teaching me the joy of giving to Christ, even as as young as I was. I always put my 60 cents into the offering plate on Sundays, realizing that it was important to give that money to God. I never changed my ways of giving and saving 10%. When I grew up, I knew that no matter how tight money was or how much more I might have or save, I would give my first 10% to Christ each month. It doesn't even seem like enough in light of all that he's done for me. I'm thankful for my parents, for the way that even as a young child, I could learn the joy of giving to the Lord. Testimony number three. I started tithing while I was in the middle of getting out of a boatload of debt. Financial Peace University taught God's way of handling money. It also taught that part of God's way of handling money was to tithe. Using God's way of handling money to, by budgeting and using cash and not borrowing had been working So I decided to take the next step and trust God by tithing. This led to a huge change in my life. It made me rely on God for my finances. One-tenth of my income was gone before I could plan my budget. I had to rely on God to show me how to make it work and how to continue getting out of debt, especially when my income took a downturn shortly thereafter. I trusted God and he led me through the trying times and out the other side. That led me to start trusting God in more things. I started placing my trust in God with regard to relationships, my career, my family, and everything else. This level of trust has led to a life without fear and without worries. I no longer worry what tomorrow will bring. I no longer worry about my health and my finances or my future. I know that I am in God's hands. He has control and he will always take care of me and all from taking the leap of faith to start tithing. Now I said earlier that Christianity is a, is a giving faith. It's a generous faith. The Apostle Paul certainly thought that and when he reached the end of all that he wanted to say uh, to these Corinthian believers about giving, his mind goes back to the greatest gift of all, the gift of God's Son. And verse 15, he says, this is a gift, too wonderful for words. And I think what Paul means to say is something like this. If we're going to go to the bank and withdraw all of our money and give it away, if we were to sell our car and give the money to the poor, if we were to give the clothes off our back and the food off our table to world missions, if we were to give everything we have and everything we are, it wouldn't be as much as God has already given us when he gave us his son. God can never owe us anything. We can never outgive God when we come to the end of our giving and we sort of pat ourselves on the back at the end of the year for what a wonderful person we have been. God invites us to take a look at the cross and the dying Son of God and realize that we, have, we don't even know what giving is about. See, Jesus is God's gift, too wonderful for words, and anything that we do pales by comparison. So, you know what, for me, this is personal. I will not hold back and I will not be stingy and I want to continue to be a generous giver. If God really did love the world so much that he gave me his only son, then I wanna follow him and give whatever I can. I want it, and I can do no less than that. Let me close with just a short story. It's about a man by the name of Maxie Jarman who was president of the Genesco Shoe Company. Mr. Jarman was a wealthy man, a uh, well-known Christian layperson who loved uh, to give money to support God's work around the world. And at one point in his career, he suffered a string of setbacks that cost him nearly everything he had. And as he struggled to put his life back together, a friend of his asked him if he regretted giving away all the money that he had given away over the years, and he was quick to say, oh no, Not at all. I only lost what I kept for myself. I only lost what I kept for myself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, teach us that we only keep what we give away. We've tried so hard in in our lives to hoard things only to have them slip through our fingers, and we've tried stinginess, but that doesn't work So teach us, God, to be generous people. See, we thank you for that we have everything that we do need and even more besides. So open our eyes to see what you are doing in the world and save us from spending our lives building castles of sand. And help us to give as you did. You gave everything for us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray.